I uh, turned the air on because I was burning up. Was anyone else burning up or was it just me and... Okay, good. You don't know when your thermostat's pregnant, so you never know if it's, <laughs> it's actual burning up or not. Um, this morning, I, I want to I talk about something that, uh, that might be new. It might be a new perspective on something. And I understand that whenever you bring up a new perspective about a particular passage, uh, there's always going to be pushback to say, no, that's not right. And I want you to know that if you think, no, that's not right, after I'm done saying what I am going to say, I, I want you to know I still love you. And I want you to know that I, I am absolutely fine with other people disagreeing with me and being wrong, that's fine. Uh, now, I, I, I want you to know you're getting in good company. There are a lot of people who disagree with me about this. A lot of very, very smart people who disagree with me about this. But this is my perspective on what is happening in this particular passage. And I think, and just in my opinion, it makes the most sense. Um... When Jesus was on the cross, he said a lot of things. He said, um, so far, he has told a criminal that he would be with him in paradise that day. So far, he has um, said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And he has also looked at his mother and said, Mother, here is your son, pointing to John, his disciple John. John, here is your mother. Basically, take care, taking care of his mother. Now, this next saying is one that has always given me just a bit of trouble. It just hasn't made sense to me until I researched it, and then, well, then it made sense. Um... Let's start in Matthew 27, and we'll uh, start in verse 32. If you want to open your Bible, read your favorite translation. This will be, I believe this is probably a mix of the NIV and the New Revised Standard Version, if you care. All right, so, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. I'd like to add, we'll bring this up next week, actually. Um, that was a um, kind of a joke they were playing on him. You, if, if you offer king, a king wine, they were pretending he was a king, crown of thorns, but they, they made it real bitter, a bitter tasting uh, thing to offer him. So it wasn't it was, it was just them being mean, yet still. Uh, after sitting down, I'm sorry, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. All of this is building up to Jesus' response to all of this treatment. How does he respond to the, whenever he is 
treated poorly, whenever people are mean to him, whenever he is getting what he does not deserve. And a lot of times that's, that's where we hit our breaking point is we, we believe, well, this is not what I deserve, so I'm going to push back, I'm going to fight back. And it is in those moments where we can really determine who we are. We can see maybe even what our flaws are is when we are pushed to our limits and now I don't deserve this. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. This is an awful way to pick your king, the one who can come down from a cross. They don't really believe he's the king. They don't really believe he's the Messiah. They don't believe any of the things he said about himself. And he says, oh, they kept on, he trusted in God, let God rescue him. Now, if he wants... If he wants him, for he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. You get to this point, you think, Matthew, we get it. The, 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 the Roman people, the Roman soldiers heaped insults on him and divided up his clothes. The, the Jewish leaders heaped insults on him and said, oh, if he really is the king, have him come down. The, the people who were just passing by heaped insults on him and said, oh, if he really is who he says he is, he really would he'd come down from the cross. The two criminals on either side, in Matthew's account, give, say both are, are heaping insults on him. You think if anybody's in the position to be humble, it would be the people right next to him suffering the same penalty that he's suffering the point Matthew's trying to make is the cross was not a solitary, private event. The cross was humiliating. The cross was painful and humiliating. Verse 45, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. From noon until three after, in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. And in verse 46, it says, At about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, it's actually, there's two languages there. Um, Hebrew and... Aramaic. It's a split. For some reason, Matthew splits them. But the, the cry here is simple. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know if you've ever been in a point in your life where you've asked such a question. Now, I don't want, I don't want any fake holiness here. Is not a church that does fake holiness very well. I've been at places where I thought, why? Why, God? 
Why is this particular thing happening? Now, um, often the explanation of this passage is this. Well, he, God had forsaken Jesus because he had turned, he had to turn his back on him um, because all the sins of the world were on Jesus and Jesus and God cannot, could not look at his son. I don't think that's right. Mainly because I am very uncomfortable with any sentence that has the phrases, God could not in them. Does that make sense? Like anytime I say, well, God couldn't do, God couldn't have, couldn't have looked at him. God couldn't have. God was forced to. I don't know about you, but I don't worship a God who gets forced to do things. I don't worship a God who couldn't have. And to be frank, I don't worship a God who, when his son, the son he sent to do the thing he's doing at this very moment, I don't worship a God who, whenever his son finally does the thing he had sent him to do, this God says, well, I, I can't watch. I mean, Jesus, my son, can go through it, but I can't even watch. I just... That just doesn't, can I use the word jive? That doesn't jive with me. And it doesn't jive with the God I know of the Old Testament, the God I know in, in the person of Jesus, and the God I know in the explanation of him through Paul's writings. It just doesn't fly. Um, I think what's happening here is we often, uh, we talk about the cross, and we say all the sins of the world were on him, and that's true. And then we, we try to justify what was happening with what Jesus is saying about God forsaking him. And we also try to justify that with our preconceived notions about what salvation actually is and how that processes. And I don't think we thought through this passage all the way. The secondary explanation of this that, that we'll just dismiss out of hand um, is that Jesus thought he was being forsaken, but truly he wasn't. I, Jesus knew the cup was coming, like, Father, let this cup pass from me, but your will be done, not my will, but your will be done. And then he gets to the cross and slams his door and yells at his father like a 14-year-old child. I just... I don't think Jesus was mistaken here. So, if God... You know what? I'm sorry. No offense to 14-year-old child. Children? Okay. Uh, there, I don't think he had that response. So, if... And just follow me here and remember, you can, we can disagree about this in heaven. I want you to know that. Remember, there is, um, if, if, if God did not forsake Jesus, if I worship a God who, and we were, I think we worship a God who would not forsake us in our darkest hour, no matter how sinful we are, he looks on the sins of the world all the time. 
I worship a God who would not forsake us and did not forsake his son. And I, I worship a God who, um, it, uh, and Jesus wasn't just slamming the door and yelling at his father something that he was mistaken about. Then what's going on here? Okay, remember, remember the workup, okay? We've got to remember that. They cast lots, they, they made him carry his own cross. They cast lots for his clothes and heaped insults on him and gave him, gave him uh, something to drink that wasn't uh, very good and he wouldn't take it anymore. Um, they, they, the Roman soldiers heaped insults on him. The Jewish people, the Jewish leaders heaped insults on him. The people just walking by yelled at him and just thought it was dis, just what, what a waste, what a, what a disgusting man. And then, and then the, the, the people surrounding him, suffering the same penalty as, as, that he was, uh, heaped insults on him. And he was, he was in the worst spot you could be. And he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is interesting to me. Why do you think that Matthew and Mark both see fit to put the Hebrew here. He doesn't, when, the, when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, they don't translate it there. There's no Hebrew there. When, when he says, uh, you, well, you've, um, when, he, when he says, you're going to be with me in paradise, the, Luke doesn't say, well, here's what he said in Hebrew and here's the translation. Why give the original language here and, the, and translate it. Maybe it's because the Hebrew is pretty important. Maybe it's because the Hebrew is quoting something else that was in Hebrew. There is a ver- there's a chapter in the Bible that begins with the word Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's Psalm 22. Now most of it, well, I say that would be a bad assumption. Sometimes it's hard to read Psalm 22 because there's Psalm 23 just waiting to be read, you know. Let's get to it. There's a rod and a staff and I'm comforted. But there... There's a Psalm 22. It exists. And it starts out like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I find no rest. Yet... You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In our ancestors, in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. The psalm he's quoting, which unless he's quoting it, there's no reason to give the Hebrew. The psalm he's quoting is not a psalm about God turning away. The psalm he's quoting is not a psalm about God turning his back. 
It's about a God who even in the midst of suffering is still the God who saves his people. Even in the midst of the cross, he's still a God who saves his people. He goes on. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. He trusts in the Lord, they said. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Does that sound familiar? We catching on here? But I am a worm, not a... Oh, I went... I jump down to 14. He says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot's herder, like a broken piece of pottery. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves and for my clothes they cast lots. Alright. Let's say something bad happened to you. And um, and someone came up to you and said, man, I'm so sorry if that happened. And you said, well, hey, the sun will come out. Now, that may be too old of a reference for some of you. But a lot of you know the, know the red-headed little child to which I referenced. Y'all can even sing the rest of the... Don't, don't. But the sun will come out tomorrow. It may be raining today, but tomorrow the sun will come out. Now, if someone didn't know the context there, they may think, well, okay, I guess he worships a sun god or something. That's odd. Now, they may not assume that unless they're crazy, but there's a a sense here that that when, when we quote parts of songs... What we mean is the whole thing. What that song moves in us when we just give a lyric. I I think here, and this is, again, I've, I've been wrong before. But I think here. Jesus is referencing a larger piece of Scripture. Which always happened. I mean, this is, this is how they referenced Scripture in the first century. Or in, in, in Jesus' day uh, and prior to Jesus' day. They, they would point to a Scripture. and what they, they didn't proof text like we do. Where you just say, well, here's my point and there's that one Scripture that backs me up. Without the context of the whole book. They were talking about the whole thing. Go look up the whole thing. Because in Psalm 22, what we've got is a story of a man who is broken, but it is a man who is broken, and it seems like in a very similar way to Jesus. And let's remember, the, um, the cross was not an invention until way after every single one of the Psalms had been written. He says, they count my, I can count my bones. My bones are out of joint. They cast lots for my clothes. 
I will declare your name to my people, he says in verse 22. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. In the end, God did not forsake his son because when he went into the grave, he came a walking out. God did not turn his face from his son and he will not turn his face from you. We do not worship a God who turns His face from the people that He loves whenever they are in their most painful moments. We do not worship a God who can just abandon His Son because His Son was now on a cross. We worship a God who will not turn His face from the afflicted one. He will not abandon Him. He will not. And he will also listen to his cry for help. For you, O oh God, you come, oh, from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will know before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness. Declaring to a people yet unborn. He has done it. I think sometimes our perceptions of God, at least our perception perception of God, is how He viewed His Son on the cross or how He did not view His Son on the cross can lead us to believe that God has the tendency to turn away. And I don't think our God does that. Even when the beginning of our songs may seem like He has. The rest of the melody describes a God who does not turn away from his afflicted one. It is my opinion that in this verse, Matthew, Mark, and I believe Jesus um, in the original historical context was pointing to Psalm 22. That's it. That's all. And it is in that Psalm that we find a God who does not abandon. That we find a God who has done it. We find a God who is worthy of all people praising Him. You may be going through a real rough patch right now. 
I don't think God has abandoned you. You may be in a spot where you just can't quit sinning. God has not forgotten you. You may be in a spot where you are suffering. You are broken. Where you feel like you're worthless. And those around you who know your secrets concur. God has not abandoned you. God has not forsaken you. God has not forgotten you. Did Jesus want to go to the cross? Actually, Scripture says He didn't. Um, That His deepest desire was to have everything happen another way. Remember in the garden, He says, Father, I... If, if, if you would let this cup pass from me, but not my will but yours be done. Jesus did not want this to happen. But it happened. And on the cross, he quoted the most accurate and helpful scripture he could. And it was not a declaration that God has abandoned him but it was a proclamation that God was doing exactly what he said he would do. To me, this makes sense. Um, I am not the first to have taken this perspective, and I hopefully won't be the last. To me, the God we worship and the God we know about through the person of Jesus and the God that we that we sing praises to is not one who will turn on you when you get too many sins. The scriptures are full, the Psalms especially, are full of people proclaiming that God does not hide His face from people. And I don't think He did it to Jesus. And I don't think He'll do it to you. Your pain is not a matter of aversion to God. He does not... He he is not pressed back into a corner and disgusted by the brokenness of this world. But our God is the God whose face will shine upon you and give you peace. Our God is the God who remembers, who stands by His people and does not forsake them in the hour they need Him most. Now for you, that may, that may be this hour. You may be in a spot right now. We, we had uh, Dave uh, Geiger's funeral yesterday morning, or yesterday afternoon, and I I was struck today as we were taking communion that that's right where the casket sit yesterday, as we talked about Dave and honored his life and and commemorated his, his life. And there is 
we celebrated the life and death and then life of Jesus once more right in the same spot where we celebrated Dave yesterday. That's a painful thing to go through. Painful two and a half months. But we know God doesn't turn away from His people. And I think that begins with us understanding or at least believing that God does not, did not turn away from His Son. It'll be hard. Notice, I'm not promising that you come to Christ or you uh, worship God and that His not turning away from you isn't some promise of... I don't, I don't think that's some promise of God, God saying, well, everything's going to be fine from here on out. It's not going to be. My parents, statistically, are going to die. I, statistically, am going to die. It's like 99.9 repeating of people who, everyone died. Even Jesus died. He kicked it, but he died. And... We are going to face grief. We are going to face brokenness. We are going to face disease. We are going to face trial. We're going to face poverty. We are going to... not. Jesus doesn't claim to take care of any of those things. He ta- claims to take care of death. That when we die, we know that death has lost its sting. That when we pass, that we know that that is, no, that is not the end for us, but it is the beginning of a new and eternal life. God does not, will not, has not abandoned or turned his face from his people when they needed him the most. Actually, what you find in scripture a lot are are people turning their face from God and it gets them in worlds of trouble. If you're living that life, I would say Turning your face back to God can can change things. But if you need to commit to the God who does not turn his face from you this morning, if you need strength from the God who does not abandon his people this morning, if you need confidence or to renew your confidence in the God who can redeem his people, I think Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. If you want to connect to God this morning, I would say come forward and unite with Jesus. If you want to reconnect with God, that God who does not abandon us, I, would, my, I, I, I think the best thing to do is to come forward and reconnect with Jesus. Recommit to that life. I don't know if you notice. I don't think I'm wrong about this. Not because I'm confident and arrogant about my own opinions. Man, those... Those are pretty rough sometimes. But I don't think I'm wrong about this because I, I know the God I worship. And I know He does not abandon His people. 
and I know he will, did not abandon his son, and I know he will not abandon you. So if you want to be a part of that God this morning, please come forward while we stand and sing. There's power in the blood.